Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today it's Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or find me on Twitter, agphdmedia or Brian Hefty. All right, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a second. Uh, Before we do, I wanted to let you know, if you go to agphd.com, you will find a couple of different upcoming events. One of them is we're going to be bringing in Neil Kinsey again this year for three days, the first week of March. Love to have you join us for that. So you can get all the details again at agphd.com. Also, I would let you know, the Ag PhD Field Day is always the last Thursday in July. We'd love to see you there. It's a That's a free event that we put on every year just to say thanks to you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching us on TV. We've been doing the radio show now for about six years and the television show for 21 years. Hard to believe it's been that long. But anyway, we'd love to have you come to our home farm. What we've done for our field day again this year is we'll be bringing in some of the very best farmers in the world to talk to you about how to raise better crops and just some of the things they're doing in their farms and also some of the things they're doing on our farm because some of these high-yield farmers will have plots they're managing on our farm all season long. We'll bring in many other leaders from agriculture. It's the largest field day in North America each year. Again, you can go to agphd.com to learn more about that. It's the free Ag PhD field day last Thursday in July. All right, let's go to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, so yesterday <laughs> I got started on a question and ran out of time. This is from Murray up in Canada, and he had asked about, he's got some soil tests that he sent me, and he said, I've got some high pH and I'm low on K. But he said, when I read Neil Kinsey's stuff, he says, I can't build K levels when I am in high pH. So what do I do? All right. So Murray, I talked about this a little bit yesterday and went into a little more detail with Neil, but let me just summarize real quickly and say, um, we have been able to prove that you can build potassium, even though your pH is a little high and what pH is. And we talked about this all throughout the show yesterday. If your pH is out of whack, if it's high, that usually indicates to us that something's going wrong. Some nutrient or nutrients are too high or too low. Something's out of balance most likely. So when I looked at your soil tests, I just saw, yep, your potassium levels are pretty low. They're down into the ones and twos. And I mean, it depends a little bit on your yield goal. If you're looking for low yields and you're happy with that, fine. But what we really want, obviously, as farmers is to build our yield in time. And also, when you build that yield, let's keep in mind, many times you've got big plants. You have, like, I'll just take corn, for example. You've got a big ear, a big stalk, and you don't want that thing tipping over. You don't want it snapping. So lodging is a big issue. And also grain quality, dry down, test weight, all key things the potassium can impact. So we'd absolutely encourage you, build your K levels up to 4% or more. You can do that more easily and usually less expensively with manure and compost if that's available. But otherwise, we have been able to show that we can do that with potash as well, even in high pH ground. But I would say this, you got to look at what's causing your pH to go high. And we've got to be addressing that at the same time. 
Okay, so when I look at your soil tests, the things that I that pop out to me is number one, your pH isn't very high at all. You're right around seven, so it's it's no big deal. You're you're actually in pretty good shape, but you are low in phosphorus. You're low in copper. You're low in boron. You're really low in potassium. So if you start addressing some of those things, my assumption is your pH is going to start to neutralize even more. Your yields are going to be going up, and you should be happy. All right, let's get to the next one here. Uh, let's see, this one is from Dallas, and he says, I was wondering if you could look at my soil tests and see what you think of these. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> I'm more than happy to take soil test questions anytime if you want to send us your soil tests. And it's not all we talk about here. We certainly talk about a lot of other agronomic topics. But at this time of year, usually people are analyzing, okay, what else can I do to my ground? And all they have right now is numbers. So when we get in season, we get a lot more questions about weeds, insects, and diseases because people literally walk out into their fields and they go, uh-oh, I have this problem. So either way, we'd love to take your phone call, love to talk about anything that's happening in your farm. Okay, so for Dallas, I will just say this. Uh, I, I looked at this and I'm missing a few things. So here are a couple key things that I want you to keep in mind. Number one, I like to see um, what the sodium levels are. And when I don't see sodium levels, I, I worry because maybe I have sodium, maybe I don't, but it's not even measured on this test. So that, that's one of the big things. The other thing that I will say is, you know, there is going to be a lot of variability in everybody's soil test. So I'll give you a few quick comments here. But one of my slightly concerning things is your zinc numbers are in full decimal, or, or I should say full integers. So it's not intense. It's rounded up to the nearest one. For example, your zinc levels are either 2 or 3 or 4. Well, are they 2.6? Are they 3.1? You, you see where I'm going with this. With zinc, every tenth makes an awful lot of difference. Also, I, I just found it curious, and I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it says recommendations, and then underneath that is all the base saturation stuff and cation exchange capacity and everything. Is that actually recommendations or is the are, are those the lab results? So I, I don't know. I was just a little bit misled by what I saw here on this particular soil test. But anyway, real quick, your potassium is really, really low, like less than 1% in several cases. So the, the big thing we talk about here all the time, just like I did in the last question, ideally, yeah, we'd like to have 4% to 8% base saturation K at a minimum. But if you say, well, look, it's going to cost a lot of money to get that up there because, like in his case, he's got high cation exchange capacity, which means he has very heavy soil. It would take a lot of pounds of potassium in one application to go from 0.45% up to the 4% minimum we'd like to see. So a lot of people aren't going to spend that kind of money. We would just tell you this. Be on a build program if nothing else. But potassium is going to pay for you tremendously well. And then the other thing, you've got spots where you're low on manganese, zinc, sulfur, copper, boron. Those are all big things. And as farmers, we get focused too often on NPK, but we really have to take a look at sulfur and the micronutrients as well because they definitely impact yield too. All right, stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday. We'll be right back after this. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? 
Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you'd like to call in, if there's anything that is going on in your farm that you'd like to talk about, or if you've got any questions for us, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email me, radio at agphd.com. So again, we're broadcasting today from the Morton studio, and we're going to get right to the phone lines today. we got Bill calling in from Iowa. Hey, Bill, how are you? Okay. All right. I'm I, wondering. Go ahead. Yeah. Why Why is potassium chloride everywhere? And if I want something like a potassium sulfate, it's, it'll cost too much to ship it in. Uh, yep. I agree with you. And it's a common question that we get, Bill, because a lot of people will say, I don't need all that chloride, but I, 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 I would just preface all this discussion with this. Chloride is somewhat leachable. We actually have a lot of chloride shortages throughout North America in spots, and so we do need some chloride. And usually potash is half the price, at least in our region, compared to potassium sulfate. So a lot of people ask about potassium sulfate, but then as soon as they start pricing it out, they go, oh, okay, now now I see why I want to buy potash. Uh, why is it more expensive? I don't know exactly. It just is. Uh, we have a lot of good sources for potash. I assume that's probably why. A lot that we get in the upper Midwest is mined right out of Canada and shipped down to us. And actually, the price of potash has come way down here in just the last few years, too. So that's been really encouraging for me as a farmer when I look at my soils and my soil tests, and I'm just terribly low, or I was anyway, 
on a lot of potassium or on potassium in general. Any new ground we pick up, I mean, for sure, we're putting a whole bunch of potassium out there just because we are so short. So do you have any big concerns about potash in particular or why are you're just uh, wondering why the why it's so much higher priced? Or I mean the potassium um, sulfate's higher priced. Well, I didn't think I wanted the chlorine and I, I do want the sulfate. Yep. So, yep. I was just wondering why. Yeah, no, I totally get that. It, it Chloride is a nutrient that we don't talk about, in my opinion, enough. It's not even listed on a lot of standard soil tests, I, and I really don't know why. Certain labs run that automatically, but then other labs don't even run it. But we do occasionally run into chloride deficiencies, and, and because chloride is leachable, we have to keep putting it out there. Now, sulfate to some degree is leachable as well. Um, certainly not as leachable as nitrate is, uh, but chloride actually can move through that, that ground pretty quickly. And I would just say, you know, when we start talking about chloride and chlorine, chlorine um, that can be pretty harmful. And also, so, you know, we're not talking chlorine. The next thing is people worry because they hear the word chloride and immediately they associate that with sodium chloride or some other chloride put together as a salt. Well, yes, when it becomes a salt and if you had a crazy excess out there, you could end up hurting something. But we've put on ridiculously high levels of straight potash just to see what's going to happen. We haven't hurt crop yet and we've gone as high as 1,400 pounds per acre. So I am really not that worried about causing big problems out there. We do need chloride. It does leach. So I don't think I get too worried, especially when you look at that price tag of potassium sulfate. Um, I just, if you want to use a little bit, I mean, you sure can't, you can do whatever you want to do, but I just know that on my own farm, I, I just feel like I can't afford the potassium sulfate. Okay. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right. Let's go out to the state of Washington. We got Steve calling in. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Hey, Brian. Happy, thank goodness it's Farmer Friday. (laughs) (laughs) So we can talk to other farmers and, uh, yeah, uh, forget about Valentine's Day for just a second there, Steve, or what? (laughs) There you go. Well, yeah, we've got to be careful of forgetting about that Valentine's Day, though. That could uh, be on the couch tonight. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I get to spend my (laughs) evening watching uh, our daughter play girls basketball with my wife. So I said, all right, honey, here's your date night. We get to go sit in a gym all night. But, you know, we're happy watching the kids. So anyway. There you go. Yeah, uh, no, I was just talking to a uh, cousin of mine, and I said the life of a farmer in the winter, it seems like high school basketball games in the yep. shop and paying bills and paying bills and basketball. and <laughs> Yep. But, <laughs> you know, familiar. yeah, those those days go quickly. Uh, my, my son is already out of high school, and I just have a couple of daughters now that are still in. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to be long. So I, I, I don't want to miss those kind of things. And that's what I always tell people is you gotta you got to do a lot of work. you got to work hard and everything else. But... You know, I sure encourage people, try to be there for the kids when they're in all these different activities. Oh, you bet. You bet. All right, so what's happening? What else is happening on your farm right now besides just the paying bills? What kind of planning is going, <laughs> what, what kind of planning is going bills, into this 2020 bills. crop? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, we've just been uh, finishing working up on the combine here and, of course, grower meetings and, and now starting to getting to the point to where seed dealers are wanting to know, okay, what are you guys putting in? And, and, uh, you know, bankers are wanting to know what crops we're putting in for spring. And, and so been doing a lot of number crunching up in the office and, and, uh, you know, just praying this year for, for everybody, um, not just us up here in the Pacific Northwest, but in everywhere for, for a normal spring, uh, 
hope we get some some timely um, rains here come June, July for us, and and uh, just get in at a normal time. We were so late last year getting it; it really affected the the uh, inequality of the crop. So it, it was it wasn't quite as extreme as, as I know you guys were back in the in the Midwest and even South Dakota. But uh, boy, it pushed us up late. That even a couple weeks made a pretty big difference there at the very end. Steve, you brought up bankers, and we don't talk about that real often here on the show, but just can you give us a general idea what bankers are talking about now versus, let's say, seven, eight, nine years ago when commodity prices were a lot better? Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely, uh, you know, they're, they're wanting the margins to be, to be within a certain range. I know each bank's a little bit different, but boy, there's there's not a lot of room for error anymore, and, and you know they're wanting to make sure that your pencil's sharp. And I know a lot of times it's almost like they're quizzing you too, to, you know, just to just to see if you've checked every little avenue of, of you know different crops to grow or, or expenses to cut or or add or, or whatnot. And and boy, it's 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 kept us on our toes as far as uh, management wise up here in the up when you're working in the office. Yeah, my sure. yeah, my dad when he talked to me about the 80s, he just said, "Brian, you know what ended up happening is the bankers got so much control and guys that either that or farmers were just so nervous about what the banker was saying that they just heard the words, "Hey, I got to cut my costs." And people yeah. started cutting everything, including things that were making them money. And he's yep. and and my dad just told me, he said, "Brian, make sure that you're really careful about what you're going to cut. It's great to cut expenses if they're true expenses, but if they're good investments, don't be cutting those because pretty soon you're going to end up in bankruptcy. Absolutely. No, my dad always made the statement that we'd rather, you know, he said, I'll sell blood or, or a kidney before I cut back on fertilizer. You know, that's, yeah. the, that's the first thing everybody wants to first go to, but, you know, maybe find a, a way to, uh, like you say, do some better extensive soil testing and say, okay, this field here might not need as much fertilizer exactly. or you know, we could take it out of this field and put it into this one here yep. where we're lacking a different nutrient. And, and, you know, it takes some work and, and being creative, but in the end, it all comes down to the bottom line and, and it does pay. So. so you mentioned farmer meetings. Anything new that seems exciting for you here in 2020? You know, there's, there's uh, a lot of it. The guys are trying to figure out what to grow um, here. Right now, the, the uh, Portland uh, basis for white wheat is actually fairly strong right now. And and they were showing some even some pretty good cash prices into August, and and um, you know that we used to grow a lot of chickpeas in this area, garbanzo beans in this area, right. and and uh, of course with the tariffs, uh, just like it was with soybeans, I mean they really took it in the shorts. We lost a lot of overseas customers, and all of a sudden they were sitting on a glut of, of beans, and 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 the price just dropped way off. So you know it's it's kind of figuring trying to figure out what to grow and and what's going to fit each each region here in the Palouse. We're pretty diversified here to. You know, even 10 miles west of us here is pretty dry compared to 10 miles east towards the Idaho line. It's, you know, it's about an uh, inch of rainfall more the further east you go. So it, they can get into annual cropping there to where out west they're, they're more in a, in a fallow rotation. So, you know, just trying to kind of figure out uh, on that aspect of what to do here this yeah. morning. Yeah, it is definitely an interesting area in the United States. And for our listeners, if you've never visited that eastern area of Washington State, I would encourage you to do so. I've been out there many, many times. And just some of the steep slopes that you guys have to work with out there, I got a lot of respect for what you do. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, well, hey, Steve, we got to get running. But uh, hope you're staying safe and uh, have a great winter and good luck with everything here in 2020. You too, Brian. Great talking. And thank you. You bet. Thanks a lot. All right, again, it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, 844-44-AG-PHD or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get right back to your phone calls coming up after this. 
Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio here on a happy Farmer Friday and a happy Valentine's Day as well. We're going to go to the phone lines again. we got John calling in from Maryland. Hey, John, happy Valentine's Day to you. Hey, happy Valentine's Day to you. <laughs> All right, so what's happening in your farm right now? Well, I just came back from a guy camp, a training meeting in a, uh, for the state of Maryland. We have to train to apply dicamba on yeah, our field. So. Yep, yep, same thing everywhere here in the United States. So talk to me just a little okay. bit about that. Have you had a lot of dicamba issues around you, uh, things going wrong? I've heard of some things. Um, but it was mostly operator error, people not going on the label and doing what they were supposed to do. Yep. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. It, one of the biggest things we've seen too has just been spray tank contamination when you're going back and forth from one thing to another. Soybeans in particular are so sensitive to dicamba, but there are a lot of other crops that are really sensitive to dicamba as well. So that does get to be a challenge. But yeah, I've I found those trainings are are pretty good, even if you're not spraying dicamba. It's just some good information, good general information, and it probably only lasted a little over an hour, right? Yeah, it was, it was really yeah. good. Um, I learned that uh, soybeans take two weeks to uh, show symptoms, and so that was pretty interesting. That's what they told us. Well, if, I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, well, I think what they meant is they it can take two weeks to see symptoms. If it takes two weeks, right? yes. Okay. If it takes two weeks to see symptoms, what that means is you had very very little actually enter into that plant. If you okay. have symptoms right away, I mean like within an hour or certainly within 24 hours, then you probably got hit with a harder shot. So, you know, when we see the stuff that's been, that's two weeks later, almost always that has no yield, no negative yield impact. The other big thing with the dicamba is if it shortens the beans, then we will commonly see at least a little bit of yield loss. If it doesn't shorten the beans and all it does is curls the leaves, you have just as good a chance to gain yield as lose yield. I've had many guys over the years tell me, man, I gained three to five bushels because dicamba hit my beans. Now, I'm never going to encourage that, but at least that's good news (laughs) that every once in a while, uh, what you think is disaster actually turns out okay. So anyway, John, what else is happening in your farm right now? So, yeah, so here in Maryland, it has been hot and wet. I mean, (laughs) I wouldn't say extremely hot, but it's hot enough to where the wheat greened up, and now we're getting ready to get some cold weather, and that's not a... It's not ideal. It, it, you know, we had some, right. some growth, and it came out of dormancy, and now it's going to go back into dormancy, and the ground is really wet now, and so we're worried about it heaving because, you know, if yep. it freezes with that water in there, it's not the same as when it's dry. So with the way the markets are today, are, are you looking at any crop acreage changes? You mentioned you got some wheat in the ground, but, but how about for plantings here in 2020? Anything different? Well, if it's anything like the last two springs, I mean, we're just going to get in what we can get in, what we can get it in. Not to give you a smart answer, but, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, we weren't I able to, you know, we weren't able to get the corn in when we wanted to, and then it came time for beans, and, you know, you just plant on the high ground when it's when it's early, and then plant the lower stuff later so it doesn't freeze out, kind of, or, you know, not really freeze out, but... If it gets cold and wet on it, you know, we have a lot of slugs in Maryland, and it's just not good for it to get cold and wet. And Yeah, as you mentioned you all know, this. I don't, think we have, it, it, I don't think we have the varieties you have like we do, like you have for the cold, like over here. So, yeah. Know. Yeah, I, I mean, they have to obviously breed some different varieties and things that will tolerate some stuff up here. And the other issue is, or the other thing that we'll add is a lot of seed treatment stuff. Just there, there, there are different strategies a person can use for some of the cold weather things. But as you're talking about all these challenges, yeah, we really had challenges ourselves last year, and certainly our entire region and all the Midwest had had a lot of issues. But I, I was just thinking, you know, farming some years is a lot more fun in the winter when you're planning things out, and it's like, oh yeah, we'll do this <laughs> and we'll do that. <laughs> then it gets to spring, and uh, it's not as much fun anymore. But anyway, hopefully this year turns out great for you john i thank you a lot for calling in and uh, hope to talk to you again soon all right i appreciate it hey hey, uh, do you have time for a question sure i sure do yeah go ahead go ahead all right so i have my ground is um it's red 
and that's yep. because we have high iron. So yep. my soils are, are red. I mean, basically, if you took a rock pile and put some red skim over it, that's basically what I'm farming in. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, whatever. you gotta, you got to play the hand you dealt, and we, we, we keep rolling with it. But here's the question. So I've been, I've been doing my soil samples, and yep. I do mine at uh, Spectrum Analytic, okay. if that gives you any Yep. Uh, in Ohio, and we do the we've been doing the S3, and I've been looking over all my soil samples, and the only nutrient I have to apply all the nutrients except for iron and manganese. Okay. That's right, iron and manganese. Now I haven't tested for cobalt, nickel, and molybdenum. Okay. I have not done that or an aluminum test. Okay. Um, but I have very high iron and very high manganese. Now, some of the fields are high in iron or higher in iron and some of them are higher in manganese okay now i realized to do a i haven't done a tissue sample for all those trace nutrients yet but if i do find a a because i know that manganese can tie iron up is that correct well you want to have more iron in the soil on your right. soil test typically than manganese yes and there right. are a lot of so, interactions so, there but anyway yeah go ahead so i guess my question is if i am getting um iron deficiency because yep. the manganese is tiring up, what what can I do to address that in soybeans, corn, and wheat? Because I, I mean, obviously the price. Obviously, if you're growing something like a high end crop, you know you might treat it differently. Yep. But what would you do to do to address that? Would you do a foliar feed? Would you treat the soil? How would you go about um, addressing that issue if there is one? Okay, so first of all, let me just say. If you already have red soil and you believe you have really high levels of iron already, I'm going to doubt you've okay. got an iron issue, especially considering okay. that I don't think any of your soil pHs are above 7, right? Right. I mean, we try to keep it at like a 6-4. Right. right. So yeah. so where we typically have a lot of the iron issue is when pHs get above 7 and then we'll get the ferrous iron that is available right. to plants turning to ferric. But anyway, what I would apply if let's say I I just my soil was just low um, in iron and I had the pH that you did, I might apply an iron sulfate that does not cost a lot of money and treat the soil. Now if you want okay. to, there are plenty of products out there to put on at planting time, whether that's in furrow at a very low rate or in a two by two at a higher rate. And there are also products that are foliar that, that have some iron in them. So I will just tell you, like on our farm, we use a little bit of a blend of micronutrients in furrow that contain some iron. And we use some foliar products that contain iron as well. So we are doing very, very small rates that way. And, you know, if you just have slight little things, that oftentimes is enough to take care of it. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to, you could certainly send us your soil test so I could take a look at them. But I, I would sure. encourage you to do some plant tissue analysis. And when you do that, I'd way rather have you take tests more often than a whole bunch of tests just one week. So I'd like okay. to see how that tracks kind of through the season, If you only, even if you only pick a couple spots. But just literally every week, go back out there, same day of the week, same time of day, and go back out every single week and in, let's call it maybe a good spot in the field and a bad spot in the field, and just do that all through the growing season. And that will hopefully give you some kind of indication on where you're at in the iron and the manganese, as well as all your other nutrients. Okay, so... So, but I guess I guess the thing is, is just if if the manganese is tying up the iron, if that is the case, then you would foliar apply iron for our crops rather than treat the soil because the 
price of iron fertilizer is so high? Um, if it's if it's an iron sulfate, that's really not that expensive, and I may consider treating the soil. But most likely, yeah, you're. I don't think you're going to have any issues in the first place. But if you do, I might okay. put just a little bit of iron right at planting time, out at planting time, and then maybe do a little bit foliar. Okay. Okay. So oh, you don't really think there will be an issue with I, I ser- up the iron? I seriously doubt it, but it's it's possible. And like okay. I say, I could sure take a look at your soil test, and if you have tissue data, then we can look at that too. Uh, but one one yeah. thing that I will tell you, for almost everybody who feed, foliar feeds iron, the key is to do it earlier rather than later. By the time okay. you see any iron issues out in your crop, you've already lost a bunch of yield. So you got to be aggressive with whatever your plan is and do it earlier in the year rather than later. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, I appreciate appreciate your time. Uh, you bet. It's very interesting, and uh, you've definitely taken a, a weight off my shoulders. <laughs> now I think I'm going to be all, all right. You know, Sounds just, good. All right. Thank okay, you. You, you have bet. a wonderful day. Thanks, John. You too. Thanks. All right. We're going to get right back to your phone calls again after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus, the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit AgriLiquid.com to find a dealer near you. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. The Grain Temp Guard from FarmShop MFG has helped farmers keep their bushels safe from spoilage and shrinkage loss in bins all across the country. And this low-cost solution just became even more affordable. FarmShop MFG is offering a $100 factory rebate on all Grain Temp Guard bin monitoring systems. This offer is available for a limited time only, so take advantage of this program now to upgrade your bins and protect your crop investments. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. Now that harvest is in the books, it's time to start thinking about your plan for the next crop. Using a pre-emerge herbicide in your soybeans is the best agronomic choice you can make to ensure control of tough weeds and grasses before they wreck the rest of your season. Authority brand herbicides from FMC keep your soybean fields clean from the start. Research trials have shown that applying a pre-emerge herbicide at planting can preserve up to 20 bushels or more of yield potential. With multiple options to fit your soil types, tillage practices, and weed management needs, Authority brand herbicides deliver the pre-emerge power to fight glyphosate-resistant weeds before they take root. How do they do it? Two modes of action keep resistance in check. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. It's not too late. 
Visit your FMC retailer or fmcagus.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions, restrictions, and precautions for use. This is Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Sam did from down in Kansas. Sam, thanks for hanging on. Really appreciate that. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. So uh, I, I was just curious, down in the state of Kansas, what are things looking like as we uh, as we talk about 2020? Well, where I'm at, which is kind of the eastern part of the state, it's awful white right now. And uh, due, to, due to all this moisture, we haven't been able to do a lot of field work. Do you, are you normally able to do some field work in February? Uh, usually, not, not necessarily, but we'll try and get some fertilizer on pasture ground and uh, hay ground, stuff like that. And usually all of our, we've done all of our field work in the fall or after harvest, so it's yeah. now it's kind of our get all the equipment ready, but since we didn't get a chance to do a lot of the field work, we're kind of trying to add a little bit extra to our plans and get out when we can. So you didn't get it all done last fall. Does that mean that snow came early, or was it rain at that point? Rain. It yeah. was just wet. Yep. You know, it was do what you can when you can and and uh, and avoid the moisture. Yeah. So hopefully things are going to dry out for you here and warm up, obviously, in the next few weeks. What's what are the first couple of things that you have going? Uh, are are you still planning to get the same fertilizer out that you hoped to do last fall? Are you going to do the same tillage, or do things change now that it's spring? Yeah, well, I, that was going to be something I was going to kind of pose to you, get your input. <laughs> sure. For, for me, it, I think it's kind of the same plan, just on a obviously a much expedited schedule um, because all this moisture and everything. I'm, I'm actually spending a little more time in the shop getting equipment ready yep. and doing some more of the reliability things that I, you know, that kind of fought last year in the field and uh, especially with the moisture and just hopefully by getting ahead of it, maybe we can avoid some of that when the time comes and we can just roll. Yeah, absolutely. I know on our farm last year, we did have to change a couple of things. Basically, we were we were just out of time. We we got caught the fall before, and it was our own fault because we we had decided we were going to do some more manure and compost, had that contracted out to do, and we 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 had never done that before. It was the worst possible fall to do it. So, of course, that didn't get done. Then that puts us by because we could have we had time to get it done. But anyway, then what yep. we ended up doing is some more strip-till stuff, some more stuff with the planter done in the spring, sure. and we did have to change it around a little bit. But, yeah, hopefully you don't have to make a whole lot of changes because it's always nice when you can go with plan one as opposed to, uh, exactly. you know, like plan four or five or like 15 that we were on, I think. So, anyway, well, uh, go ahead. You, you talk about changing plans up a little bit. This year I, I kind of hope for a relatively normal winter as normal as possible yeah. Uh, because I'm actually trying to put some manure out for the first time on some different ground to kind of start incorporating that in. We've always had the Good. free supply of it, never used it. And then uh, also I had talked to you and your brother there about some planter adjustments a few years ago, like down pressure and, and things like that. And so I've been, been playing with that since, since then and uh, been real happy with it. But Good. Just, just a lot of little things, you know, making a lot of little tweaks and fighting the urge to uh, start 
getting out there when I see the first person out in the field as I as I run errands. <laughs> yep, I, I hear you on that one. Okay, so like, how about seed this year? Anything new and different you're doing on the seed side of things? Yes, I. This will be my first. I, I am trying to extend beans this year. Sure. Um, I did Liberty Link la- or Liberty Beans, sorry, last time, and was very happy with that. And yep. just trying to set up some kind of rotation of technology there that you know get the longest or the most bang for the buck, longest life out of the different uh, traits without mm-hmm. just falling back around up every time. And then uh, I actually am going with a different vendor this year. Um, sure. for seed, different brand. Just yeah. I, I did some test plots, had real good luck, and uh, so we're trying that out. Uh, so so on, that, that's kind of yeah. So ahead. so I was just going to ask on the extend. What's what's really causing you to think, hey, I want to go extend versus Liberty? Other than just I want something different. Is there any particular weed or any certain advantage you see with that extend over the Liberty Link? Um, the main reason is I'm actually coordinating. Um, spraying. I, I'm a real small operation, so I'm having a neighbor that sprays for me, and so we're actually coordinating our plant, what we're planting in close proximity to each other, um, so that we can get, uh, you know, we have him spray for <laughs> yep. me. Yep. But also, you know, pigweed and you know the usual suspects. Yes. Um, are bad. They're resistant to Roundup. So Liberty did awesome. Our three pre's did great uh, the previous year with soybeans. Yeah, good. The thought is, rather than to just keep hitting that same Liberty button every year, maybe try and alternate or do something where, you know, we can stop the resistance from happening so quick. Yeah, I I will say, though, going forward, there isn't going to be a lot of straight Liberty. There isn't going to be a lot of straight Extend. It's going to be Extend Flex, so you'll be able to do Dicamba or Liberty. It's going to be Enlist E3, so you could do 2,4-D or Liberty. So you're going to have lots of options, and both of those also allow you to spray Roundup. So when you've got three different choices there, that's that should be pretty good. Well, hey, Sam, uh, we got to get running here, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it and want to wish you good luck here in 2020. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. All right, we got John calling in next from up in Ontario. Hey, John, how are you? Not bad. Yourself? Great. So I hear you're going to be changing your nitrogen program from anhydrous to 28%. What's causing the change? Uh, basically safety issues on the road, pulling the tanks. Uh, <laughs> one of yep. my biggest fears here. Um, yep. <laughs> I see enough videos of it and uh, watch these people uh, distracted driving and such going on. And I think it's time to exit. Uh, my nephew runs the planter, which we had been pulling in hydrous behind the planter. Um, sure. And uh, he's got some uh, asthma issues and stuff going on. So it's there's a numerous things. And uh, we tried a bunch of 28 last year and we had some good results. So sure. um, we're going to go trying with our program to put down possibly 100 pounds with uh, our um, um, herbicide okay. on a pre-plant and then go back in uh, with a wide drop situation uh, sure. since we have the sprayer and didn't want to purchase a pull type applicator till we know what we're doing so um, how much anhydrous did you used to put on uh we put on 220 actual per acre okay and see one of my concerns gets to be if you have heavy ground and you're obviously in a colder area just like we are so heavy soil colder area if you happen to not get lots of rainfall i just worry about 
okay, how much are we putting in the side dress versus how much are we putting out there early? And I would say one of the things for me and the 28% is we kind of went a little too low sometimes early on. I didn't have enough early in the season. So either I needed to move my side dress date up or I needed to put a little more out there early because we were in the exact same boat as you. We used to put a lot of anhydrous on, switched over to either 28% or urea depending on price. And that that was the one mistake I would say that I made. So we've moved a little bit more to the early application. But again, we got real heavy soils. We can hold it. There's no problem with that. We got uh, variable soils from light to heavy in the same farm. And, sure. Uh, one thing we we noticed a few years back is we went back and did some end testing in in the row and found that the hydras didn't even move in switch over to an end. It was still in a gas form. Yep. Right in the trench, which yep. was wow. So it wasn't released. Yep. Never heard of that. Uh, we were kind of and then the compaction behind the planter, we were packing it in, noticing sure. behind, right behind the tractor it wasn't releasing. Yep. Um you know, and then uh seepage in heavy grounds, trying to get that knife down deep. Uh try to get it to seal was just laid open and now it was just not really working for our in so but the wide drops we're just we're not we haven't bought a system yet we're still looking there's numerous companies out there yeah um want to try to keep the weight off the sprayer because they tend to maybe crack booms and uh but we're still only looking at like still putting my end on when it's knee high i'm not going to go anything extreme yeah so probably every other so one band beside each row not two um, okay. just, just, just for cost for now and see, see how we make out for the first year, I guess. Sure. You bet. Any, any questions that you had for, for me? On that? Um, yeah. What would you, what would you suggest for any NSERV or any, uh, stabilizer doing that? Or would you go early with a stabilizer and forget the stabilizer in the side dress program? Or? Yeah. So if it was me and I saw rain is imminent, I would probably leave the stabilizer out because you're not putting tremendously high rates on you're doing it about when the crop needs it um, otherwise if it's way out in advance and uh, really dry then i might put a stabilizer on hey john we gotta run be right back what do you think of when you hear palmer amaranth or water hemp if you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields you don't have to think about them at all with two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio as we wrap up the show today. Got a little bit of time left. If you'd like to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Otherwise, I'm getting back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. This one comes in from Brent. He's asking about potassium. He says, how do I figure out how much potash I need to apply to raise my base saturation K from a 2.5% to a 4%? Uh, and Brent is in Montana, by the way. And he does say his CEC is around 18. So what that's telling us is he's got a medium textured soil, what we would consider medium. Kind of in that 10 to 20 range is about where we consider it medium. But that's obviously all relative. That's the reason why we like to see the CEC number so we know what we're talking about. But anyway, that has nothing to do with this discussion on potash and how do I get it from 25 to 4%. It's real simple, Brent. Just take a look at your parts per million on your soil test right now for potassium. Okay, let's just say, for example, that that number is 250 and you're at a 2.5% base saturation K. If you were to double that, just again, for example, that'd give you 500 parts per million of potassium and you'd be near a 5% base saturation K. All right, so that is going to just give you, I mean, just for very super unbelievably simple math, that'll give you a general idea of, hey, I don't even need to raise it 250 to get it where I'm trying to go. Okay. So how you would run the calculation, again, just super simple. All you do is take whatever your parts per million is now, you multiply it times four, divide it by two and a half, because your target's four, you're currently at two and a half. Okay, so 250, let's say, you multiply that times 4, that's going to give you 1,000, you divide by 2.5, and, and you're at 400. So when you do that, you say, all right, my target is 400 parts per million. Right now, I'm at 100 or 250 parts per million. So the difference there is 150 parts per million. How do I do that? How do I get to that level? Well, a lot of people think that potash is... 0060, and it is, but they think it's 60% potassium, and that is incorrect. It's actually 50% potassium. It's 60% K2O. So keep that in mind first. 
The second thing you got to keep in mind is we just talked parts per million. What we're after here is pounds per acre. If it's a six inch soil test to convert parts per million to pounds per acre, you multiply times two. So if you said, all right, I'm 150 parts per million short, that means you're 300 pounds per acre short. And potash being 50% K2O potassium, well, what that's telling you is, or sorry, 50% potassium, 50% potassium, it's 60% K2O, but 50% potassium. That means that you'd have to take that 300 pounds you're short divided by 50%. That's going to mean 600 pounds of potash if you wanted to do it in one shot. The other way that a lot of people look at this is they go, you know what, I'm going to do this over six years. I'm just going to put on, put on an extra 100 pounds every year for six years, and then I got my base saturation K up to 4%. So whatever you decide to do, all I know is when you're at 2.5%, that's telling us you've got a pretty good chance that applying potassium is going to be a good return on investment for your farm. All right, next one here comes from Adam in Minnesota. He says, do you expect any harm to winter wheat seeded the first part of September after edible beans that had a pint and a half of treflan or trifluralin and a pint and a quarter of stalwart? That's basically generic eight-pound dual. Uh, He says, the label says four and a half months for stalwart and the next cropping season for trifluralin. So next cropping season, he says, could technically mean the fall, and I agree with that, and that's what it is. But anyway, he's just asking, what do I feel we have for risk here? Well, I would say on the dual or stalwart, there's zero risk. I don't care if the label says four and a half months. You're just fine with winter wheat. There's no problem. By the way, the reason why they have these things, specific things like four and a half months, if it's long... It requires less testing. It's a lot easier to prove. If it's short, it requires more dollars for that company to invest in all the testing that is required to be done to prove that, hey, there is no issue. So sometimes you'll see labels that are long, even though you go, what? Dual? Several months later, that's not going to hurt any winter wheat, especially at that lower rate. On the trifluralin, the rate that you're at, pint and a half, that's a three-quarter rate. I'm not super concerned about that, but in my opinion, I think you're probably going to have a few spots here or there that it might ding up the wheat just a little bit, Nothing, probably nothing major. And where I would worry about it most is where you have issues. Let's call it soil issues. Like, let's say it's not very well drained. Let's say your soil pH is out of whack. Let's say there's really high salt in that area or something like that. So I I would be just slightly concerned with that winter wheat, but I'm, I'm not real worried. And it's really the trifluralin that worries me. Okay, next one is uh, Alex from Minnesota, and he said, uh, Hi, I had sent you the manure sample the other day, and you were right about dividing the zinc by (laughs) 1,000. So I I didn't get that decimal point in there very good. It was actually a pound or 1.35 pounds of zinc for every 1,000 gallons, I think is what it was uh, on his thing. So anyway, um, yeah, that was what I was guessing, Alex, so I'm glad that uh, that turned out right. Okay, last one that I've got here is from Elias. He is out in Montana, and he sent us some soil samples, and he said, can you guys take a look at these soil samples and see what you think? I would like to plant spring wheat or durum. We planted hemp in this area last year, but the early snow got it before it was mature. And uh, thanks for the show, by the way. Okay, Elias, here's what I would say. When I look at this, I see he sent me a picture 
as well, well, a couple of pictures, as well as the soil tests. And what I see is a pivot. And I see on the soil test very high levels of salt and very high levels of sodium, as well as off-the-charts numbers on sulfur. So here's what that's telling me. Number one, I believe you have a drainage issue. If it's me, I invest the money in a little bit of drain tile. Now, in Montana, obviously, you're in a dry you're in a dry area. You don't need lots of tile or anything like that, but you're going to need some. And the problem is your soil is ridiculously heavy. You've got cation exchange capacity as high as 61. Now, I don't believe it's actually 61. I believe it's more like uh, where you have low sodium around 30. 25 to 30 is probably what I think it actually will be when we flush some of this stuff out of there. So here's where I'm going with this. If it's me, I'm going to put a little bit of tile on the ground number one. Number two, or maybe number one, either way, I'm going to look at my irrigation water. I believe you've got a problem with your irrigation water that's throwing a whole bunch of salt, potentially sodium out there. So I think that's part of the cause. And the other part of the cause is over irrigation from time to time, and it can't get away. That water can't get away because you don't have great drainage. So that's why we've got this buildup of sodium and salt and sulfur. I think that if you take a look at your irrigation water, make sure that's good. Either you got to get a better well or you got to treat that water, number one. And number two, if you get drainage out there, now you're going to be heading the right direction. So those are the first two things to get the soil in better shape. Now, beyond that, I would just say when I look at your soil tests, I go in here. I'll just I'll read off some numbers for our listeners. I have, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll give you the range for... Uh, let's see. Okay. So first of all, soil test or soil pH is really high. Well, why is it so high? It's because of all the sodium and the salt out there. So you get that taken care of, your pH is going down. But I'm looking at the Olson phosphorus test. You got one to 15 parts per million. So you're really, really, really low on phosphorus. You desperately need phosphorus. Potassium, you're as low as 0.6% potassium. You desperately need potassium out there. Sulfur, you obviously don't need. Nitrogen, you're going to have to add depending on whatever crop it is. And then we start, oh, and by the way, he gave me soil tests 0 to 6 inch, 6 to 18 inch, and 18 to 24 inch. So it is interesting to see. When you get down a little bit deeper, that's where we have even higher sodium levels. And what's going to happen here is all that stuff's going to keep creeping up closer to the soil surface. So the sooner you can get this addressed, the sooner you're going to start getting higher yields. But anyway, manganese is really low. Um, you know, copper's maybe a little bit low. Iron's maybe a little bit low. But I mean, and the, really, the biggest thing is you got to address that water issue. Uh, I, I just think you probably have an irrigation water problem, and you need some better drainage out there. Get rid of that salt, sodium, and sulfur over time. At, you know, the, the crazy excess he has as high as in his deep tests. Uh, 5,500 parts per million of sulfur. So that's telling you that it's just not getting away. Anyway, take care of some of those things, and then I think a lot of the rest of the stuff is going to start to straighten around. But, yeah, it's it's discouraging when you start having soil issues out there, but I think that's the, the, the real cause. When you you got to go to the cause. What's the cause of the problem? I have to assume it's poor irrigation water quality, and we just don't have good drainage out there. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Before we go, I want to say thanks to our production staff, everybody who called in and wrote in with questions, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now, stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio.